I'd like to welcome you to Rad Real Estate. Each episode, you'll join me while I do a deep dive into various topics related to selling and buying real estate. I'll talk about the state of the market, how to negotiate a contract, getting a home ready to sell, what to look for when buying, how to buy with a builder and what to expect, what's in the economic news, market trends, and how it all relates to real estate. I'm your host, Richard Dombrowski, and this is Rad Real Estate. Well, hello, all you loyal listeners out there, and thank you once again for joining another episode of Rad Real Estate. I'm so happy to be here and giving you information about the real estate market, the economy, and so forth. And today we're going to talk about the economy. Yes, indeed. What's happening in the economy? My goodness. I guess the other question is what's happening with interest rates because those things are all related. And we know right now that the Fed keeps raising interest rates because of inflation. And there's a direct correlation between inflation and the Fed policy on money. But let's dig into that a little bit. We're talking a lot about inflation right now, but it really was happening with the run-up of home prices. We saw that in every market, virtually every market across the country, where home prices were just getting out of control. And what should have happened at that period of time with the Fed is they should have been raising interest rates then because it would have slowed things down just a little bit. The economy was overheated at that time and people were getting unprecedented returns on their real estate investments. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that the rates that at which that was happening far exceeded what anyone would have thought would have been normal or even excessive. It was far beyond excessive. But in any event, we're there. And the Fed didn't raise those rates to slow to an acceptable pace. And then inflation began to run rampant. There were other factors that were involved there too. We're going to talk about that as well. When the interest rates are so low, it makes it easier to get money. So therefore, there's more money in circulation. And then add COVID-19 to that, which slowed down the supply chain of things coming in and going out of the country. Uh, Prices went up and begrudgingly people paid them. We talked about that during the COVID pandemic. I mean, prices were going up. You went to get a roll of paper towels and it was outrageously priced, but we paid for them because... When the stores finally had them on their shelves, we said, boy, we better buy them no matter what the price. And that kept pushing prices up. Now, inflation is caused by those types of things. But let me talk a little bit about how inflation is measured and what inflation is, how it's defined. So inflation is defined as a rise in prices, which can be translated as the decline of purchasing power. So just those things that I was talking about, like a roll of paper towels as an example. The consumer price index is a tool to measure that inflation. And how that's measured is the average price increase of a 
open quotes, basket of selected goods, close quotes. And what's in that basket of selected goods? Well, that can change year over year. But generally speaking, it consists of food and beverages, including groceries and dining out. So going to a restaurant, what have you. Housing expenses such as rent, utilities, and home maintenance. Transportation costs, including gas, which we've seen an increase in the gas prices. And people will point to the crisis in Ukraine for that. But I would also contend that part of it is the XL pipeline that was shut down at the beginning of this administration because it made our fuel, or at least the perception of our fuel accessibility, it put it in question. So then the prices go up. The oil companies are opportunistic. They see something like that, they pounce on it, prices go up. The other things that are included are in that transportation cost would be uh, vehicle maintenance and public transportation too. Then there is healthcare expenses, including medical care and insurance premiums. We've seen that run amok as well. Education expenses, including tuition, books, and supplies, personal care for toiletries and haircuts, things like that. Recreation and entertainment expenses, like, like going to a movie or a sporting event or gym memberships, all those things fall into that category. And then there's clothing and footwear purchases, Of course, household goods and services like furniture, appliances, cleaning supplies, home repairs. These items are typically weighted based on their importance in the average household. So from an inflationary measurement standpoint, 2% inflation year over year would be considered normal. At times this year, we've seen a 9% year over year increase. And that's just a snapshot. So imagine if you have an increase this year, there was an increase last year, an increase the year before, you've got increases upon increases and it's getting out of control. So our dollar is not going anywhere near the distance it used to even three and four years ago. During the lockdown, the government wanted to make sure that the economy didn't collapse So they pumped $5 trillion into the economy in stimulus spending. And we all heard that stuff on the news. But it's hard to put that in perspective, $5 trillion. It's just three more zeros than, you know, in the billions. But let me explain a little bit about that just to give some perspective, okay? So if I asked you as an individual, if I was able to give you a million dollars five hundred thousand dollars to spend in a year could you spend it and i know you don't need to think about that because the answer would likely be of course i could spend a million five hundred thousand dollars in a year and there's no restrictions on how you could spend that money could you do that every month for a year yeah it'd be it'd be fun and interesting and difficult but i i certainly could do it could you do it every week for a year And that is $1,500,000 to spend every week, 52 weeks, for a year. Well, that might be kind of tough, but you can make some big purchases and spend that money, right? 
How about if I told you you had to spend a million five hundred thousand dollars every day for a year? Could you do that? Likely the answer is I don't know if I could do that. But if you were able to spend one million five hundred thousand dollars per year for two thousand years, you would be at one trillion dollars. Think about that. During the COVID-19 lockdown, the federal government pumped $5 trillion into the economy in stimulus spending. And part of that was the Payment Protection Program, which was a PPP loan, which really wasn't a loan at all. It was a gift, and it was meant to keep people keep people going. The economy was suffering. Supply chains were closed down. There was no chain. And what people were doing is they were saving that money because not only were they getting this money from the federal government for filing some minimal paperwork, they also weren't made to pay their mortgages. They also weren't made to pay their rent. And people were taking advantage of that. And they saved that money. And part of that is what led to the highest level of personal savings in the country's history. And now with all of this inflation and people having to spend money on all those things in that basket of goods, our day-to-day needs, we've gone to the highest level of personal debt in our country's history. That means people are using their credit cards. They no longer have that savings. They burn through it. And it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. And so now what? How do you fend that off? How do, you, how do you turn that ship around? Well, unfortunately and sadly, you have to adjust interest rates. And interest rates must keep going up to a level that slows inflation. And right now, we haven't gotten to that point. The Fed comes out and says they're raising interest rates a quarter point or a half a point. And lo and behold, we take another measurement of the consumer price index, which gives us an idea of what inflation is, and we find that it hasn't slowed inflation down. So the Fed comes back out and says, okay, we're going to raise interest rates again. Part of me thinks that we should have just raised interest rates 5% two years ago. And then it would have been so difficult for everybody to handle that, but it would have stopped the inflation in its tracks. And we would have been dealing with the fallout from that right now, but I think it would have been a better solution than this trickling up, trickle, because I think it, overall we're going to end up at a higher rate than we would have if we just bit off the whole thing. So higher interest rate, rates encourage more saving because if, if, if you can get a higher interest rate at your bank, then why not save your money and earn interest if you can't? Doing this slows down spending, which slows down demand, which should decrease prices. It's the old supply and demand. The demand goes up, the prices go higher. The demand goes down, the prices go lower. It's the same thing with you know, airfares, as an example. When people had money, they were traveling a lot. The airlines were charging lots of money, which they are right now. But with inflation, they're going to have to figure out another thing to do because their industry is going to slow way down, and they don't want that. 
the crazy thing that happened recently with the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank is that we just got word from our president who said, we're going to step in, the federal government is going to step in, and we're going to make people whole that lost money as a result of the collapse of that bank. Well, that could have serious ramifications because the standard federal guarantee is up to $250,000. Well, there are people with $10 million in that bank, and now the federal government's going to step in and make those people whole. I mean, I feel bad for them because they're losing money, but that's not the taxpayer's responsibility. It really should not be resting on the shoulders of you and I to bail out these millionaires that put their money in this particular bank. If they're savvy enough to have that much money, they should have been savvy enough to understand the risks associated with putting their money in a bank and that much money in a bank. I mean, that's just reality. But the government could have stepped in and fended off the failure of this bank because their, their policy of this bank was to invest their money in treasuries. Okay, they had their assets in treasuries. More than 50% of the assets they had available were in treasuries. And that's a great policy to have when the economy is booming. But it's really bad when interest rates are on the rise and the economy is not doing so well. And that's what happened. Well, if the federal government stepped in and said, we're going to guarantee the payment of the treasuries when they mature, then everybody could have stayed at ease a little bit in this situation, but that didn't happen. The Fed just came in and says, oh, they failed, so don't worry, we're going to make you whole. But listen, back on the interest rate thing. If interest rates aren't raised, we will fall into a recession. That's a fact. That's what will happen. That's what history shows. So interest rates have to rise. Well, what happens in the real estate market for now? Well, in the Tampa area, which is where we broadcast from, let me give you some some facts. Um, Actually, in Florida, we still have 800 people moving to Florida every day. It's probably a little more than that, but we'll use the 800 number for now. It was up to over 1,200 people when before the economy started sliding. But it's still at 800, give or take, per day moving to Florida. And in the Tampa Bay area, inventory levels remain low at a three-month supply. People aren't selling at the same rate that they were before, which is a really interesting metric. And I've always talked about inventory. Okay, let me re-explain that if you haven't remembered what I've told you in the past. And the way that inventory levels are calculated is they say, okay, if we stop putting homes on the market today, how long at our current sales pace would it take to sell everything that's on the market? And last year, when things were going crazy, we had a one-month supply, actually less than a one-month supply, meaning no new listings are added to the market it would take less than one month to sell everything on the market at the crazy pace we were at last year. How about that? As of right now, we're at a three-month supply 
of inventory, which is really, really low still. But people aren't selling at the same rate that they were last year, like I said, which is limiting our inventory. So if you reduce the amount of inventory you have on the market, and you can even reduce the sales pace, and you could increase the number of months supply of inventory. The active days of homes on the market, so the average number of days that a home sits on the market is 50 days right now versus 22 days last year. The number of new listings, like I mentioned, that's down 8% from last year. Pending sales, which is homes under contract, they're down 9% from last year. Sold homes are down 20% from last year. That's a big decrease. So the total sales volume is down. But the average sales price is up. Why? Well, it's because we're still seeing only a three-month supply of inventory. So we're back to the supply and demand situation. And that's a really important factor to understand. So what does that mean for the buying and selling public? Well, we know that interest rates are going to continue to go up. The Fed has come out and let us know that there's going to be at least three more increases by 25 basis points. And that means a quarter of a percent of interest, basically, is how that will be reflected in the 30-year mortgage. But look, that pushes us up to somewhere around 7.5% in a 30-year fixed mortgage, which is still a historically low interest rate. It is. We're just so used to interest rates being in the fours and threes, and we even dip down into the twos, that 7.5% seems outrageous to us. But it's still a very good interest rate. But you have to understand the buying power that you have or that has been reduced by the fact that that interest rate has increased. More than doubled since this Biden administration has taken office. Wow, two years, and we've more than doubled the interest rate. It's crazy. It's just crazy. But that still puts you in a good selling position because inventory levels are low, and it puts you in a good buying position because if you are able to buy, there's not as much competition for those homes as there was a year ago. So that puts you in a little better position where you can find a home, get into it, and not have to pay exorbitant prices for these homes like what was happening last year. Home prices have settled down a little bit from last year, and that's a good thing. I think overall the um, total sales volume is down about 16%. From last year. I don't want you to misunderstand. The real estate market outlook is not bleak by any stretch unless we enter a recession and then things will definitely slow down. But the Fed is doing what is necessary to slow down and hopefully really ease up the inflation numbers 
so that we can get back to a normal economy. I hope they're doing it. I believe they caused this inflation by and large. And now they need to take these drastic interest rate increase measures to stave off the inflation they created. But we are where we are. The Tampa Bay market is still very strong, as are most markets across the country. And I wouldn't let what's happening now discourage you from making a move that is important to you, for you, your family, your job, what have you. We're not in the situation where you should hunker down and not do a thing because you're fearful of whatever's happening in the economy. We're just, we're not in that position right now. Interest rate increases are a fact of life that we all have to live with. It will cycle through, will decrease as well over time. And that's just how that whole industry works. We were really living an environment for a very long period of time that was extremely friendly to real estate and kept the interest rates down. So it helped home building, which drives a lot of the economy and it helped resales as well. But hang in there. Everything is, like I said, not bleak. Things are still good. Uh, The Florida market is still fantastic. The weather is outstanding. I think it's 76 degrees here in mid-March today, sunny and wonderful. I thank you once again for supporting Rad Real Estate and being with me once again on this episode. And I am looking forward to seeing you next time. This has been a Rad Real Estate Podcast in cooperation with Bay Realty of Florida, LLC, a Florida-based real estate company. Episodes are written, directed, and edited by Richard Dombrowski. The views expressed on this podcast are the opinions of the host and guests of the show and should not be used to make financial decisions or in buying or selling real estate. To find out more information, contact the host directly at Florida at gmail.com. The theme song is Action by Cube Sounds and can be found on Pixbay.